You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen Podcast. I'm Poona Verma. Today, I chatted to the baking queen of the world, that's what I like to call her, Chef Mitch Turner, MBE. She's sharing her experience. She's bringing her little Venice cake company here. It's just been launched at the new Atlantis Royal. And she's giving us a secret peek into what kind of cake she's creating for King Charles' coronation. Georgie Willems from Catch International is updating on the latest food scene here. We're also talking about the lessons learned from the men behind One Life Kitchen. They've lasted seven years, that seven-year itch, and now they're doing extremely well, and they're on the second location. And a brand-new chocolate factory, Ganache, has just been launched, and we have the chocolatier in the studio with us. And if you're looking to get rid of those pesty mosquitoes, one woman who is part of the Spinney's Incubator program has created a very organic, safe and natural mosquito spray. And we chat to the French pastry chef from Mina El Salam. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinnies. Eat well, live well. Now, I wonder what feeling my next guest is going to be on. Uh, she's going to be live on Facebook. You can tune in there too. I like to call her the Baking Queen. Uh, she is the founder and the lady behind the Little Venice Cake Company, who just recently launched, launched at the new Atlantis, the Royal. And when we talk cakes... These are no ordinary cakes. Mitch, welcome to the show again. How are you? Lovely to see you. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, all good today. My weekend in three in yes. three words with family coming home. Oh, well, who's coming home? Why? Is it kids? Is it other family members? My two sons, one from university and one who's been away for a week skiing in the mountains. Oh, you're missing them. It'll be the first time I've seen them since uh, the middle of February. So, yes, very much looking forward Have to it. Have you seeing. baked them a cake? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> what kind of cake are <laughs> not, you? Not, not just one. They really love the chocolate brownies that I make. They do. It's made with like a melted chocolate and ground almonds um, and then has a really lovely sort of indulgent chocolate flavour. So that is their ultimate favourite and always one on the table for when they come home. It must be so nice but so dangerous to have mom known as the baking queen. We we try and live by the principle not to get high on your own supply in terms of only making sure that we, you know, we savour really lovely special treats for, for good times. But because, you know, I travel so much and they're away, mm. we don't very often all get together. So when we do, it's always time for celebration. So that's oh. really when I can get the baking tins out and bake something really delicious. Well, you know, you've been known as a trailblazer in this industry and you've baked for some amazing people from royalty to Paul McCartney, David Beck. Who have you been baking for recently in the celebrity world? Oh, my goodness. Well, we've obviously recently had our um, grand reveal at Atlantis the Royal. So that saw uh, us welcoming in over 1,200 really high-profile celebrities, clients, influencers, and fantastic people into Atlantis the Royal, many of whom then came to visit us at Little Venice Cake Company. Um, And I created the Feast of Dreams cake for that spectacular, which is um, currently still on display at Little Venice Cake Company, so you can come and see it. It's a seven-tier creation that stands sort of four feet at the base and five feet high um, incorporating seven tiers which represents the sea into the sand into the sun the whole sort of you know birth and creation of Atlantis the Royal and it's decorated with um, components that we've made all made out of sugar that took a team of four of us over a month working full-time to be able to create and brings in all those different elements of air, earth, fire and water, the sustainability and everything that Little Venice um, is is sort of showcasing in terms of its hand finishing skills, but delivering the essence and the message that and the story 
that Atlantis the Royal has, you know, created itself um, as being the most ultra luxury hotel in the world. So it's a beautiful cake. It features hand painted sugar butterflies, handmade birds, roses, um, and an ebb and water bubbles. And it's 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 spectacular. So that's one that I've been working on recently. But the next one that I have coming up will be a cake that I'm working on to celebrate the King's coronation, which will be um, at the embassy, uh, a British embassy in May in uh, Dubai. So let me ask you a question. Did uh, King Charles just say, will you make me a cake, Mitch? How does it work? <laughs> uh, no, that's not quite, that's not quite <laughs> how it works. Um, I mean, I have had the pleasure of making cakes for many members of the royal family over the years uh, for different occasions, you know, starting with the, the diamond wedding anniversary cake I made for Her Majesty the Queen and Prince Philip, which I gifted to them, um, that was set up for a private party at uh, Buckingham Palace. And then Her Majesty took the top tier with her for uh, Christmas to enjoy while she was at Sandringham. Um, I mean, I worked on the Platinum Jubilee cakes for the British Embassy in Abu Dhabi and in Dubai last summer, which was a real privilege because not only does it celebrate the Queen's birthday, but it was the Platinum Jubilee, which was an enormous honour and celebration and, you know, a once in a once in a generation opportunity. And the nice thing is that because that that was the first time I'd worked with the full team from Little Venice Cake Company at Atlantis, we were able to photograph and document the journey and the story, share photos. And I wrote to Her Majesty the Queen and sent photos of everything that we created and how we'd worked in, in her honour to present these two cakes. And we very sweetly and kindly received a letter back from Her Majesty the Queen just three weeks before she passed away, thanking us all at Little Venice Cake oh. Company and mm. uh, sending her very best warm wishes. So there's a copy of that letter actually on display in Little Venice Cake Company at Atlantis the Royal um, next to the top tier of the cake that I represented or presented for the event at the Dubai Embassy. And what's lovely is it captures the uh, the hand-painted detail of the Queen's Royal Coat of Arms, which I was allowed to recreate with special permission from Buckingham Palace. Mm. Um, so mm. for me, being able to bring my craft and art to create the memories that has a story that's so personal yet so poignant um, is a real is a really lovely, lovely thing. And it's, a, it's an honour for me to be able to share this and showcase this at Little Venice Cake Company. How much control do you have? Let's say, for example, the Royal Atlantis said, we want a cake or, you know, royalty say we want this. Do they give you an idea of what needs to be incorporated or do they say, you know, you design it, send us a drawing first, maybe in your ideas and then we'll approve it? So how it works is obviously we have the the embassies around the world will be hosting events to celebrate the King's coronation in May. And I have a strong association with the household at Buckingham Palace. So yeah. I would always reach out to them first and foremost, whenever I'm approached or asked or want to create anything for any members of the royal family, I would always seek permission first and understand the guidelines to ensure that everything protocol was being maintained and, and adhered to. So I reached out to the executive chef and, and uh, said, you know, that there are these opportunities had arisen from the embassies in Dubai. They were looking and interested to having a, a cake for the event. And what was the steer? Um, and very sweetly, they came back with the, the insignia that's been prepared by Johnny Ives for the King's coronation, which is a beautiful, almost sort of William Morris-inspired design with lovely reds and lovely blues and tones, yeah. featuring all the emblems of the United Kingdom, the shamrock, the daffodil, the rose, um, and the thistle. And incorporating that, I can then take that as my inspiration understanding the very essence about diversity, modernity, sustainability that King Charles is very passionate about to ensure that I design a cake 
that fits that brief, tells that story, understands the narrative, showcases our very best skills, and then works with where and when and how it's going to be presented. And then to ensure that the flavors of cake we serve on the day to accompany the cake really reflect the King's uh, personal preferences. I was going to ask you, did King Charles and Camilla say, oh, I like carrot or I like vanilla? Have they told you? Uh, well, I've worked with, um, I've actually created a, a cake for, for King Charles in the past, again, as a gift. Um, and it was, I've done two actually, one for his um, 60th birthday, which was taking into account his coat of arms or his the feathers. Um, and I wrote happy birthday in English on one side and in Welsh on the other as mm. at the time when he was Prince of Wales. Um, you always run, I always go through the, so it's, I don't, you know, you never have direct conversation with their royal highnesses or their majesties mm. themselves. It's always through, through the, through the, um, the protocol and through the departments. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everything we've done has been as a gift and is gifted. And we're very, very privileged and honoured to do that. So the cakes that we're intending to serve for the coronation will be a reflection of the kings and queens love, uh, queen consorts, love of all things sort of, you know, garden sustainability, country from the earth so yeah. we'll be serving our coronation date cake um, again a nod to the region so it's a lovely cake that I initially designed for Her Majesty the Queen but I'm elevating it um, and customising it for His Majesty by having this beautiful date cake that's made with medjool dates wow. and yeah fresh apple with lemon and ginger um, but then when the cake is spiked it will have a lemon and rose syrup um, and a, a pistachio and rose crust I've actually launched it as part of our iftar collection that we have at Atlantis the oh, Royal wow. so, so we get to taste the coronation cake there absolutely will you absolutely will that's the one that we have every day available at Atlantis in Little Venice Cake Company and you can come and buy it as, as bars that you can enjoy so it's really moist it's really fruity and what I tend to do with my cakes those who those who know them is I focus on flavor first mm. um, rather mm. than sweetness so these cakes deliver the most wonderful flavors of dates apple lemon and ginger and then this rose and pistachio crust so really delicious so we'll be serving that one at the coronation we're also going to be serving another of our favorites that you can find every day at little venice cake company which is our carrot cake um, now this is the one that i actually serve for pierce brosnan's wedding nice. it's made with it's made with walnut sultanas and coconut has a lovely orange and lemon citrus syrup and then has a vanilla cream cheese frosting um, so it's really delicious because the nice thing about this cake is we can offer it both gluten-free and sugar-free without compromising on flavor or texture so that makes it a real health uh, bonus for a lot of people as well um, and it's something that I've been really uh, championing and has been important to me that as we deliver the most amazing cakes at Little Venice Cake Company we offer a full collection of both gluten-free and sugar-free cakes. Oh yeah no I think that's the best thing to do. Um, I also wanted to ask you um you know, I get little mini heart attacks because I love watching food shows and especially the cake shows where they spend like three days making these cakes and then they have to transport them. That's when my heart starts racing. Like, will something yeah. smudge or will something fall? I mean, have you ever had any major mishaps like that? It's, it's, it's one that I've learned, you know, having sort of worked in this industry now for sort of 25 years, 30 years and transported or worked on over sort of 30,000 cakes. You know, we've had cakes that have literally flown all over the world. In fact, the cake that I did, the first one I did in the region in Dubai last year was the cake to represent the nation at Expo, which was the first time Prince William had an overseas visit, a solo overseas visit. And, you know, I was creating the cake to represent the nation 
I worked and made most of the tiers in the UK and they were flown oh. over to Dubai. So they're packed in boxes, sent on a plane. And then the next time I saw them was when they were delivered on a pallet downstairs to the pastry kitchen at Atlantis, where we were able to finish everything and put all everything, everything together. And I think part of my skill of working in this industry is understanding the logistics of not just, you know, what you're making and what, how you're making it in the design, but it has to be absolutely the transportation yeah. and the internal structure of the cake to ensure that it will survive all of that. So, um, I mean, we have, you know, we've had cakes, some of the stories I could tell you about cake transportation <laughs> on private jets, on jets, on boats, on trains, on planes, on automobiles. But these, literally- these cakes are traveling more luxurious than us human beings, I hear. What was the, my favorite one is the is a wedding I did in Europe and they sent the private jet to pick up the cake and granny. <laughs> oh, that is crazy. I want to be a cake in my next life and I want you to bake me. <laughs> you can bake oh, me. I think if, I, if I have time to tell you a little story. Yeah. Okay, so it was when I was delivering David Beckham's 30th birthday cake over to Madrid and I had 48 hours notice to make, bake, decorate it and get it to Madrid. Um, And we contacted special services at Heathrow Airport. So they assisted us as we arrived at the airport with this very, very specialised cake. It's the only time I've ever worked through the weekend, through the night um, on a cake. And we got it onto the plane on that morning and they opened up special security services for us to come through. And once we were on board, the pilot actually sent a telegraph, a telegram and message ahead to the ground staff at Madrid Airport to let them know we were coming. And once we landed, the pilot himself put on his high-vis jacket, wouldn't let anybody else get off the plane until he, us and the cake had been safely um, you know, offloaded from the plane. We had a private trans- transfer to the terminal building and a special channel to take us out through the terminal building. So I always maintain that if you want the very best service on a, in, in an airport, travel with a cake. <laughs> oh, how the celebrities look. That is such a funny story. I know you've got loads more, but I want to um, ask you, what is your go-to cake when you have a little bit of chill time at home and you want to take a slice of cake with a cup of tea? Oh, my goodness. It's, that's very difficult because it really will depend on the time of day, day of the week, week yeah. of the month, month of the year and all of that. Um, I mean, when you say that instantly, I would say, I mean, I really do love the uh, the date cake. That is my favorite. And I would bake that a, long, a lot of the time at home. When I'm in Dubai, however, we have a raspberry, rose and pistachio cake that's absolutely to die for because it's made with a heavenly vanilla base with fresh raspberries and pistachios. So you get the crunch and you get the flavor and the fruitiness of the cake. It's layered with a raspberry sort of compote. So it's deliciously fresh and fruity. And then we make a raspberry Swiss meringue buttercream. And by nature, Swiss meringue buttercreams are lower in sugar. But because we add a freeze-dried raspberry to it, we're adding natural flavor, natural color, natural sweetness. So it almost has a sherbet sort of sorbet style taste to this buttercream. And it's absolutely delicious. We served it for the grand reveal um, when we when we had the, the, the sort of opening back in January, the grand reveal. And for most of that weekend, it's probably very much the only thing I ate because we were also busy working so hard and we were serving this cake it was available so it was one of my go-tos and I tell you what else we serve which I'm really partial to yeah. when it comes to afternoon tea and you need a little bit of something sweet is our nougat that we make especially oh, nice. we have two we have one that's with um because nougat is made by 
creating a meringue with honey. So you boil your honey and add it to the egg white. And that's what makes this lovely cooked, delicious nougat base. And then you add in your roasted nuts and dried fruits. And we do one with hazelnut, pistachio, um, cranberries and um, apricots, which is delicious. And we have that all year round. But just for Ramadan, again, for iftar, we have created one with pistachios, dates, and we use orange blossom honey. So it delivers this most wonderful flavor that has the most delicious aftertaste. And it's that one where you buy it in a right, you know, a sensible size bar and you can sort of cut it into small pieces. And I tell you, it absolutely hits the spot on so many levels. Mitch, I think I've gained 2000 calories just listening to this interview. <laughs> I haven't even taken a slice of a cake yet. Are you coming over in May, by the way? I shall be over in May, yes, because we have, that's when the coronation events will be happening at the two embassies. So I shall be over in May and we very much hope to be able to host some of our masterclasses at the studio um, at Little Venice Cake Company. We have a beautiful show kitchen and in the atelier, we we uh, will intend to have masterclasses so people can actually come and have a go themselves at putting on the makeup and creating some amazing cakes that will be memories and skills to take with them. So I hope you come and see us in the studio here when you're here in May. Oh, okay. Well, is have another. Is it well, because you want to see me, or you want me to bring cake? Um, Just so as um, yeah. because I really, really want to see you, Mitch. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll come, but you mean I'm just going to have to bring cake with me. So as long as you can accommodate no, that, then we're all I'm, good. I'm happy to come to the Little Venice Company. We can do it there if you want. There'll be more choice. Okay. No worries. No, no, that would be lovely. I, I would love you. Them. Yeah, we can talk about the masterclasses and who wants to join in. And it'd be lovely to see you in the studio in person. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Have Can't so wait. much fun with your boys. Thank you. All right. Have thank you. Thanks, everybody. You. All the best. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So today we're starting off uh, with the UAE's food scene and finding out what's trending, what may be slowly passing, phasing out, I should say, and what's on the horizon. With me now is Georgie Woolhams. She's the founder and managing director of Catch, who I deal with quite a lot on this show. How are you, Georgie? I don't think we've ever met, right? No, I don't think we have. I think you've been um, talking to my team a lot more than me. Yeah, um, they talk a lot. To meet you. you two will have to meet up. Your team are lovely, by the way. They're very helpful, I have to say. <laughs> oh, good. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. I see uh, you've got Mitch on the show later as well today, which is great. We do. We've had her on before, but looking forward to catching up with her again. I mean, she is the baking queen. That's what I like to call her. She truly is. So um, I know that Catch have been part of launching and promoting a lot of big places, hotels and restaurants. Tell me about some of the ones that have really stood out for you over the past few years since you've been working with them. Um, Well, so so we were part of the Atlantis Royal opening, which I think none of the team will ever forget that that weekend. It was amazing. Um, and, And wow, what noise did we make around the world? Um, but, but you know, but you, but you know, when you when you say something on that level, I mean, let's talk about the stress levels because you know, being in marketing, PR, communicate, it's it all looks glamorous, but I know you guys work really hard too. Yes, we do. Um, so I, I I actually just had a baby, so wow. I was I was uh, basically running in between uh, feeding my child oh, and then going bless. to the royal lord. Um, but that's that's what you do, don't you, when you're a working mum? Uh, so yes, it it was stressful because of the fact that there was so many moving parts to it. 
But at the same time, the organisation was very, very well done from the Atlantis team side. Um, and we were the team, my team. I just, I can't, I can't say how proud I am of them. You know, they they stayed on site for three days, and they were they were on it, making sure everybody was having a great experience. The the press releases were going out. Everything was managed from itineraries and uh, just logistics, like even getting people lunches. You know, all all, all that side. And I think. I think it was a very, very good launch. Like, there's not many people around the world who don't know about it. So we were very, very proud to be part of it. Did your team get enough sleep? Because I heard Beyonce about 1am, 2am is when she was doing her little rehearsals. <laughs> was that right? I think they slept on, I think it was a Monday, everyone was allowed to work from home when we finished. And I think they slept. <laughs> a lot. I think I, I slept a lot. Well, as much as I possibly could do to my daughter. But um, yeah, it was... We were all pretty exhausted after that. I think it's the adrenaline and then the hours that were put in as well, you know, because we we, we were looking after the media and the celebrities from the GCC region yeah. and the influencers. So you're, you're on call 24 hours. If they need something, yeah. you, you've got to get it. So the guys, yeah, the guys were working some very, very late hours and then obviously putting together all of the information and capturing everything. So we, the guys pretty much work three three days straight. So no, I know. They have more since and well done. And, you know, um, we, even, we, we even tried to organise a breakfast for them and they wanted a McDonald's breakfast, which was hilarious. Um, so we had a, a, a team breakfast in the office to say thank you as well. Maybe they'd had enough of too much posh food at the Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, they just wanted an egg McMuffin, didn't they? So, oh, uh, so um, I know Catch is international. How long has it been here in the UAE? Oh, goodness. So we've been there for 12 years now. We're turning 13 years this year internationally, but yeah, 12 years in the region. And you've been here from the beginning, 13 years? Yeah, I have. Uh, I I came uh, on a little adventure and bought a brand from the UK into into the Dubai region and, and stayed. <laughs> That's what happened. And then we just got bigger. And actually, we had a we had a group photo last week, and I have to say, I was a bit overwhelmed. I could not believe how big the teams got, and mm. it's just amazing to see. It's what? just. It's what? been an event. So when you look at your earlier projects, like the F&B scene, all these hotel scenes, what what was the scene like back then 13 years ago? What kind of things were you dealing with? Well, it was brand, 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 brand. Like literally, like every, every, every day we were dealing with an international brand coming into the market. And then it, there was a big education piece that we had to do with the brand, which to show how to adapt to the UAE market because you know a brand that may be sitting in America might not um, be fully suited for the UAE market so we had to kind of adapt the communications adapt the way way we did things and then I think the turning point and I and I and I'm sure Tom, Tom and Serge will will say this as well um, I think when Tom and Serge opened their cafe and showed a homegrown brand right yeah in in a a location like they did and to make it a success that they did that was the turning point i think for most of the uae pre-covid where people went oh this is really clever and i think i could do something a bit different and then we saw this um this flow of new brands coming in and really different like taking locations that you you know you hadn't seen 
And then we saw the delivery aspect really, really go to the next level. And because of the fact that the delivery aspect went to the next level, it didn't matter if you were in a warehouse or you were in JLT, you didn't have to be central DISC anymore. And I think that opened up a lot of opportunity for independent brands to come through. And I remember when things started opening up in our cause, it kind of felt like, you remember Soho back in New York? It used to be, you know, warehouses and everything. And now it's like this cool, hip place that you'll find hidden little gems and restaurants and art galleries. Uh, Yeah, I think I think as as an expat, we're so used like, you know, we come from countries where uh, we see independent brands all the time and markets and stuff like that. So it was so nice to see Mm. this, this. all these independents winning as well. I'm, I'm an independent. So, you know, I, I love supporting these homegrown brands because it's so nice to see people go on the same journey we all got on and, and succeed for a bit. Um, and obviously some have succeeded an enormous amount, which yeah. is, which, you know, it's, it's been amazing to watch. And uh, I just think, I think the talent that is coming through the market is, 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 is amazing to watch. I think the way uh, Dubai is becoming a springboard platform for international brands to go out globally is it's just it's it's amazing to see that yeah. because I, I remember you know most people will be like oh I need to open in in London first or I need to open in Barcelona or I need to open in New York but they're not now they're mm. opening in Dubai mm. they're testing out the the market and then they're seeing that it's working and because they're creating these brands with uh, with such an international aspect to it, they can then take it out globally. And, and, and we're seeing some absolutely fantastic brands succeed in the global market. You know, look at Maine and Joey and what he's done with Mayfair in London. He's everywhere. Like, there's not, every time I pick up a newspaper, he's in it. Um, and, and he's doing so well. And, and now we're seeing um, Chef Izu really, really start to move around um, the things, um, Sam Air, what he's done with Akadori and how he's gone into the GCC market. So it's it's fantastic to see these independents grow something so well in the UAE, but actually almost use it as a springboard pa- platform to go out globally. Yeah. Well, stay where you are, Georgia. I'm going to come back. Loads of questions for you. Uh, we'll be back after the break. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're talking about the food scene, F&B and hotel scene, how it's changed with Georgie Willems. She's been here for 13 years with Catch. She's the founder and the managing director. You know, one thing, Georgie, I've been talking about on and off the show is um, I've been going to a lot of supper clubs recently. What do you think of those? Have you been to any? Because they're growing. Um, yeah, so uh, we, we, we looked after the original um, supper club um, when, when, it, when it was open all those years ago. I think experience is what it's all about now, and I think um, I think what pe- people want to do is is have a memorable um, time, and I think entertainment, art, music mixed with food is 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 an absolute no brainer. And it, again, we go back to Joey on what he's done with Maine um, in London. That's what it's all about. He, he's bought something totally different, and I think he's seen it from the region and taken that. Mm into into london um i haven't you know i haven't um visited uh was it papillon i haven't i haven't visited that yeah. but one it's been on my bucket list for quite a while now yeah. um but I, I would like to do that play we worked with play quite a lot so i have i have been to one of those experiences and wow was it an experience so much entertainment and the food was excellent as well but i think that they're here to stay and and i yeah. think you're going to 
more and more. But I think you'll also see more talent come through it as well. Totally. I think you're going to see a lot of an adaptation. So we bought um, we bought Cirque du Soir over, which was the circus nightclub mm. um, from London 13 years ago. And it was very, very different. And people were quite surprised at the time. But when they saw the entertainment, it brought a different experience into the club. And then we suddenly saw, obviously, a lot of other uh, restaurants and nightclub venues, you know, ones that start as a restaurant and then turn into more of a dining experience evening, start to do the same thing. And I think that kind of paved the way. And now we're seeing it more and more where people don't just want to go out for dinner. They want to have an experience. They want to... And also, we don't want to... People don't want to move around a lot anymore. I think since COVID, we're not, you know how we used to, we'd go to a bar and then we'd go for dinner yeah. and then we'd go to a nightclub. We don't, we'd like to stay in one place. So if that venue can provide everything we want, why not? And if it's going to adapt during the time in the night so you don't feel like you're in the same venue, yeah. I think it's a very clever idea. You're the second person I've heard who said that because I do complain a lot about how loud music is in restaurants these days and it's because they're trying to create that club scene so people will stay longer. But it does annoy me when I'm eating too and I don't know if that's old age or I just really can't hear the person I'm with. But we, it has we used changed. To have a major issue. We used to look after Cavalli. So one of the things oh. with Cavalli was, um, this is a long time ago, long, long time ago, um, but basically around 10 o'clock was when the music went up. But most people wanted to come for dinner yes. later on in the evening, but um, then they couldn't hear themselves speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so ambience plays a big... Cavalli, I lost my voice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, the thing, ambience plays a bit. I get it if you're dancing, but if you want to go for dinner, ambience and conversation is what you're there for in the food. And I still think a lot, of, and I remember, I won't say the restaurant, but I said, could you please turn the music down? And they didn't. And we got, as soon as we ate, we just left. That's not really going to make me want to go back. Can you please tell a few restaurants this from me, Georgie? It, it's, it's so hard because um, obviously for, for them, it's about prof, profit, isn't it? And, and, and more people buy drinks and stay later if, if it has got that kind of and so it, it, it's that I suppose it's actually it's, situation. Yeah. But I, I agree. I, I think, you know, when I go for dinner, I want to be able to hear myself speak. But at the same time, then I maybe not choose a supper club style restaurant yeah. if that's the kind of thing I wanted to have. But one thing I did find about these supper clubs is I feel the passion more in the chefs because they don't tell me what's on the menu and they cook whatever they want and they get really creative. And a lot of them are restricted in restaurants and they have to stick to the menu. So for that, I see them really excited when they do things like that. Yeah, I think... I think um I used to work with Greg Maloof and, and I have to say he is one of the loveliest chefs I've ever worked with. He doesn't he he's he's very passionate about what he does. And when he first came over here, he was really frustrated with the quality of ingredients and you know what he was able to do. Mm. And the excitement you see from him now because the quality of ingredients are out there and because he can do what he wants to do and he can be as creative as he can. And let's be honest, chefs are artists. They are and if you can the freedom to do what they can do they create some of the best menus look at Jason Atherton yeah like what he's doing now because he's got the freedom to be creative that that, that that's what that's what he's able to do and I think um and you know jo- Joey as I, I keep mentioning Joey but Joey started off as a chef so when he created something he created it with with food at heart at the start um you know chef Izu look look at look at what he's done to the delivery scene and yeah. what he's done with kitchen like it's so clever yeah. and it's because they're allowed to have a bit of freedom. Yes. And I think 
13 years ago, it was very, this is the way you're going to do it. You're going to stay in between the lines, not go too far out the lines. And now they're actually embracing the fact that they can do what they love and be passionate about it. And it's like, is that anything we do? If we're passionate about our jobs and we get restrained, we don't stay passionate and we don't give our best. And I think that's that's what that's what's going on with these chefs. Do you think the whole, you know, I came here 16 years ago, you're 13 years ago, a lot of the big restaurants were focused within the flashy hotels, the big hotels. There weren't even like things like the Rove and all these little, you know, 25-hour hotels. They were very big. Do you think the whole flashy, fine dining, expensive restaurant experience is being affected by these local brands? Or do you think there's a space for both? I think there's a space for both. You know, uh, Dubai is an international country. We have locals who live here, expats who live here, but we also have tourism. And tourism are always going to want the flashy and the fine dining restaurants. So I think you can have both. Um, I think the way the expats and locals dine has changed because of COVID. And I think we're looking more for again, the word experience, uh, we, we're looking for something where we go and we have a nice meal and we know we're going to have that. That's why there's, we're seeing a lot of repetition where people going back to the same places. But I think when we do have, you know, a big tourist coming in who's spending quite a lot of money in a very flashy hotel, they are going to want to go to those wow restaurants and, 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 and you know, tag themselves on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and say, look where I am, this is what I'm doing. And I don't think that that will get lost. But I just think, um, I, I think it's amazing that brands like Rove have come through. And we, we, we've, worked, we've been working with Rove for, for three, four years now. And, and Rove is all about community. Yeah. You know, we, 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 it's not just about hotel. It's about experience. Again, the word experience, which I think that is the buzzword for the day. But, um, you know, we, we, we put a photography studio in there with Nikon, which, which has never happened before. And you've got the podcast uh, studio. The podcast, yeah, the podcast studio. studio. Yeah, and 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 this just shows that hotel is not just about where to stay now. It's about how do we build a community? How do we how do we uh, how do we grow our audience? And and how do we keep growing our audience? And I think Rove hits the nail on the head every single time, which is about partnerships. It's about community. It's about reinventing the wheel all the time. Um, but they've grown a brand that is accessible for most people because I think Dubai as well was very much so about bling hotels. But other people want to access um, Dubai, but not stay in somewhere that they're not happy to stay in. And I think Rove has created a fantastic product that is more affordable, but also still provides that Dubai community aspect. Yeah, well, we're running out of time. I want to bring you back again another day because I think we've just got loads to talk about and I can see how passionate you are too. So I really wish I had more time. But before we go, any F&B future trends you see coming in over the horizon? Yeah, plant-based. Plant-based is is here to stay. Uh, it's it's been working internationally. Um, obviously, Neat Burger's arrived. I, I I actually worked on the launch for Neat Burger and and just watching the plant-based scene grow and seeing how that brand has 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 grown has been absolutely amazing. But also watching Spinnies and how many plant-based items are now on their shelves. So I think that's to stay. I think the fact that we're now growing a lot more of our own local produce, um, you know, organic is not a word you want to read on a menu. Organic is a word that you expect on your menu now. So yeah. I think I think that is definitely here to stay. And obviously sustainability, we're seeing in the hotels and, and I was really amazed. I stayed in Caesars Palace and Caesars Palace has their own water filter system. And on the bottles, if you scan the QR code, it was... Um, talking about how they did the water. And I think people really now want to um, to save the planet. 
So I think more and more brands need to think about packaging. You know, is it sustainable? Um, healthy food? Is it is it is it good for our guts? You know, are, are we being healthy? Water? Is it glass bottled? Um, is it recyclable? Like all these things are, are here to stay, and and they have to be because part of our lives we need to start saving the planet. And oh, okay. and plant based and sustainability is is the way to help do this all right georgie thank you so much i am definitely going to get you back on to chat to helen when she's back is that okay yeah that's fine that's absolutely great all right thank you for having me and i hope to meet you soon i've met your other girls i need to meet you now Oh, we'll, we'll organise a dinner somewhere, definitely. I'll take you to Ling Ling. I just actually had dinner in Ling Ling. It was brilliant. Right. So we'll go, go there. That's All a right? date. Bye, love. <laughs> Bye-bye. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, I'm kind of thinking that one of the best jobs in the world is eating chocolate every day. And I think it is because my next guest is a chocolatier and a chef. That's what he does. And he has a big smile on his face. So I'm kind of thinking he's actually really enjoying his job and his life. Joseph El Hajj, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Everything's fine. So good. <laughs> You're so good. You're very <laughs> cheerful. Are you? Can you see those chocolates? They're in the middle of both of us, but neither of us can reach them. Yeah, this is so tough, huh? Yeah, <laughs> not. <laughs> for you I mean let's talk about you first of all you're a master chocolatier and you're the corporate chef of Alibar Enterprises what is a master chocolatier what do you have to do every day so uh, I want to just take a little bit uh, from the the beginning so I born and raised in Lebanon and then I had that long journey of uh, being a chef and being so just a normal chef not focusing on chocolate just a normal chef yeah so my career started in the from my mom's kitchen let's say she used to give me when she cooks she used to let me taste and try what she did so i can kind of like find if there is uh, extra salt uh, need something more so you had less. test taster so yeah so she is like she started to build this one from the beginning uh, in our in our life and then later on i found out like uh, okay i love this career i love this and did mission. you cook as well as well as just tasting and as, exactly <laughs> this is what happened and i started cooking and then i decided to do a, a chef and then after that a hotel management and then i traveled around the world i went to russia i started exploring palettes start exploring uh, products uh, quality and in that all from savory to pastry to desserts to chocolate you kind of like found there is a big relationship between all of all of this and this is your actually your palate your tongue and how you taste so did do you think you had a palate for sweet stuff like chocolate so you know there's like um there's like a, a, a study uh, about uh, how you taste so your tongue actually split it into six uh, zones yeah so if you want to to try the salt where you should try it if you want to try the bitter how where you put the food in your mouth so you can try this so can you can you tell us those six areas like where should we have sweet stuff where should we have salt so can you tell us so i that? i want to ask you the question okay. and then you tell me how so if you feel if if you, if you eat lemon oh where where actually you feel like you cannot handle it anymore i feel like maybe the tip no, it's actually you feel like your teeth are oh so so it's it's actually the sides of your of your tongue. Oh, interesting. This is where you, For the you sour taste the sourness. The 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 tip of your tongue it's actually where you try where you taste the salt. Oh. And then the mid where you try the sweet. And then the very back side where you try the bitter. 
So anything bitter, it stays in your throat. You feel it like it's deep inside. Wow. So this this is how this is how we try the food. This is how we balance between uh, ingredients. Between uh, this is how we evaluate qualities. Sometimes. Even with the chocolate, there's like levels of chocolate and there is varieties non-stop. But it all depends on the cocoa beans, I suppose, where you get the cocoa beans from. Exactly. It's depend on the cocoa beans, depend on how you are getting it. There's brands, they have, they, they own the lands, they own the harvesting, they own the roastings, they own like the full steps, it's owned by them. Mm. And there's brands, they just call the supplier and buy the beans. But it's actually... How these beans being treated? What is the weather? What's the quantity of water? Is it um, like how the process of that yeah. tree being uh, the same? The same way that people see the beans for coffee is exactly. the same way. So it's interesting because I'd never seen or tasted an actual. Uh, like the cacao plant or how you open it. Mm. And the first time I did, it was white Yes, inside. And it didn't taste like chocolate my whole... I was like, what? how do you make chocolate from this? How does it come from that? Yeah. So uh, actually what happened um, during the COVID, and I want to tell you something, it's, it's actually new things in, in, uh, in, in the world. During the COVID, we used to take actually the only the seeds from inside. And we roast it, we dehydrate it, and we blend it, and then we take the cocoa butter out of it. During the COVID, there's five chefs, they sat and they did a study how to extract the cocoa butter from the shell of the fruit. So we, we kind of like, we are now on a very official road that we, the chocolate is not only from the seeds, it's as well from the shell. And does it taste differently from the shell? It, it doesn't taste differently. It tastes, uh, it's like it's like another variety wow. of chocolate, but still. So you're trying to use the whole of it. So it's it's 100% uh, used as a fruit. And this is very good for, the, for our market because, you know, the consumption of the chocolate in the world is so high. Yeah. And people love, cho- love chocolate from... <laughs> Two years old, yeah. to 80 years it's old. It's crazy, isn't it? Why do you think, do you think, it, I don't know what it is about chocolate. It's kind of like fries. It is. Everybody <laughs> likes them. You know what I mean? What if from ganache? Chocolatier. So, so tell me about ganache. Like, what are we going to find there? Because there are other places here that make chocolate. And I think it is a growing market. You know, when you think about Switzerland and Belgium and France, they all have a lot of chocolatiers there. What is so special about ganache? What are we going to find there? So ganache, it's uh, it's an experience by itself. When you enter the shop, you feel ganache. So what's mean ganache? Yeah, tell me. Ganache, it's a it's a French word. Ganache mm-hmm. means the silky, uh, soft uh, insert inside the chocolate shell. I see. So that small, uh, smoothie, smooth uh, chocolate inside that bonbon. This is the ganache. If you go to Ganache, a chocolatier, we have created a, a whole section, uh, only Ganache. I, wanna, I want you to try the inside only of the chocolate piece. Mm. So you enjoy the real taste. You enjoy the, you enjoy the real chocolate. And it's all handmade. It's all made in-house. Wow. So where we are selling our chocolate in, uh, in, in Al-Sarkal, this is where we do the chocolate. 
you make it there and we can see you we making make it. This there, we make it there and then we kind of like created a sneak pee window so you can see our chefs yeah. working on the machines, doing their chocolate, tempering the chocolate because, you know, chocolate need it's actually four steps to do the shells or to do the bonbon. Uh, but you can see them. You can feel what they are doing. You can see the, the real chocolate. You can see the love of the chefs doing it. Mm. You can see the quality, what we are using. All the steps of chocolate, you can see it in front of you. And in the same time, we are different than other places because our chocolate, it's made with love, made with quality, mm. and made with taste. Yeah, so uh, all the experience that we had, yeah. that we had as a chefs in, yeah. the, in that place, we kind of like put it all in this place. I can tell taste. by your smile, chef, that you're, it's, <laughs> you really enjoy what you're doing. Okay, well, we're going to be back with chef. We're going to find out what flavors they have. And uh, Samir's texting and he said, this conversation is so sweet. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. I need to ask you a question, Chef. Have you heard of Cadbury's chocolate? Yeah, for sure. So that is from my hometown, Birmingham. Just thought I'd <laughs> say that, not that I've got nothing to do with it. But it's funny because a lot of my American family friends and cousins, they will always buy chocolate from England because they don't like the taste of American chocolate. What's your favorite chocolate from which country? Uh, so my favorite chocolate, I feel the chocolate that I made. <laughs> that, that's a great answer. So let's talk about the chocolate you make. What kind of flavors do you come up with and what will we find there? So uh, in Ghana Chocolatier, we've created around 100 types of flavors. Gosh, you must have fun. If ever you need somebody just to come along and double test them, I'm here. More than happy. Yeah, <laughs> just round the corner, you call me. So... Do you come up with ideas? Do you like to mix and match? Is it an experiment for you? It is actually. It's um, it's a, sometimes it's a huge challenge for us because and and like you need to f- to find the right balance for each piece, and as well you need to make it unique. So the journey of this concept started by uh, I want you to eat a chocolate, but I don't want you to have a sugar rush. Yeah, I, I don't want you to have like. Sickly feeling. Exactly. Yeah. I want you to, to eat a piece and after maybe five minutes, it's like, okay, I need one more. Like this is not, this is not enough. <laughs> oh, we just need another two more then. Exactly. But that's what you want. I don't like sickly, overly sweet chocolate. This is, this is, what, this is how we made this brand. Right. So this was the idea. I want you to eat a chocolate and never stop. So within these hundred, uh, hundred types of chocolate or uh, flavors that we, we did, yeah. we did something for your uh, movie movie night you sit and you have a snack mm. which is actually a cheese chips dipped in chocolate what? and then salty chips dipped in chocolate and then you have your small cigars just biscuits yeah. and you have your uh, wafers and you have your uh, uh, crepes which is crunchy uh, not heavy in chocolate not heavy in sugar uh, super balanced mm. And from there, we took it to a savory part. So I don't think there's people, or uh, let me say, there is no much people tried uh, a za'atar chocolate. Za'atar chocolate. So imagine you are taking like a herby stuff, which is made mm. to be a sav- to be uh, a savory, mm. and then you you kind of like infuse it in you in the ganache. But it's interesting because if you think about it, I think it's in Mexico they put chocolate over their chicken. 
it's like a dish. So chocolate's used in many different ways in different cultures, isn't it? Yes. I as well there's a it kind of like a trend happened here. Uh, they used to do a, a chocolate with a, a short rib. But it it it, it was never um, like it it doesn't it didn't stay as it's yeah. supposed to be. But our chocolates it's very much balanced to a level that you feel like that's not a savory. That's how it's supposed to be. Mm. The za'atar with that chocolate. Mm. Uh, and as well, m- m- much more. There's a lot a lot of flavors. Yeah, I've had a chocolate massage, obviously, in Dubai, because that's what they do here. Mm-hmm. So if you have any spare chocolate, don't throw it away. Just <laughs> massage it for it. It's supposed to be very good. And you know one of my favorite films, which I'm hoping is yours? Chocolat. Mm. You like it? <laughs> yes. That's quite an ins- that must be an inspiring it movie is. for you. It is. I love time. it because of the whole, like, the feel and the energy yeah. as a chef. You know, you make, the taste has to make you feel something. You know, it's so it's so nice when you plan things in your mind at at night as a flavors. Like yeah. you want, you are building your flavors, and then second day, you kind of like put it all together, and then like you nailed it. Yeah, like, this is the best taste yeah. ever. This is for me like the best thing, and and as well like when I give it to someone, I just look at their faces. You're going to look at my face when I have a fight now. It's my, like, the best things ever happened in my life. Like, I see people close their eyes and they, like, their smile everywhere, you know. Okay, I'm going to have to pretend to say, this is disgusting, (laughs) Chef. Chef, it has been an absolute pleasure. And the reason I am finishing this interview as soon as possible is because I want to try some chocolate. So thank you for bringing that in. Thank you so much. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Now, they do say uh, there's a seven-year itch in relationships. And once you pass that, you've got a lot of good luck. It should last a lot longer. Um, And let's see if that is the same in business, because we're meeting today the men behind One Life Kitchen and Cafe, which is in Design District. They're celebrating their seventh anniversary, so it looks like the relationship is going very well. Welcome to the show, um, Najib Kamsigil, the founder and managing partner, and Kelvin Kelly, who is a managing partner and head chef. How are you, boys? Very well. Very well. You're like very quiet. Let's get close to the mic. Otherwise, I'm going to sound like a big mouth here. So tell me a little bit about how you two met and how you got together to create this business. Because who you choose to go into business with, you have to be very careful. So at the time, it was around 2015, and I put out an ad for a chef uh, on a website here. And I was going through a lot of CVs. And then at one point, I... Um, I opened my laptop. I had just come home from somewhere and I was like, let me see who's applied. And I saw someone called Kelvin Kelly had applied. I believe it was like nine seconds ago or it was like a really, really no number. And uh, I opened the CV. It looked pretty good. I said, I'll try to freak him out a little bit, like call him straight away, which I did. And he answered. And But, but what was it on that CV that made it stand out compared to others? I think it was direct. It was to the point. Uh, it showed that he had real experience. And I don't know, it was maybe it was an energy thing. You know, a lot of CVs I do go through very quickly because I'm like, what what do you, kind of feeling do you get from the CV? And I just got a good feeling from it, I guess. Well, I think you did very well because you're seven years going and you're going strong. Great to be here, Punam. Um, what was the dis- disclaimer? I didn't hear it. The disclaimer was half of the stuff that was on the CV actually didn't really happen. Are you? Oh my goodness! No, Did you just find I'm, out I'm, that I'm he lied? No, I'm he's kidding. lying now. I'm that's kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> His CV um, was legit. Yeah, it was. Um, 
on the other end, I was, I was at home. I was doing something. I, I just applied for the lap. Uh, just applied for the uh, position online, and I got up to do something, and the um, laptop made a noise. So I went to go see what it was, and there was a. Um, oh no! It was my no, phone. It was, it was, it was phone my call. phone call. Yeah, it was my phone call. So table, my phone was on the table, and uh, I got a call. And I answered the call. I'm like, oh. And the person on the other end was Najib saying, did you just buy, apply for a job? Yeah. I but, think the universe brought you together. I can but, see the way you're looking at each other in each other's <laughs> eyes. <laughs> We're actually going through the seven years right now, but you can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys are doing very, very well. You seem to get on pretty well. Was it very easy from the start, considering you're strangers? No, I think we had, uh, we really, like it sounds maybe strange, but we did have to work on our relationship. Like, yeah. From my from my perspective, what I always really liked about Kelvin is that he disagreed with me. So I didn't want someone who agreed with every idea I had or everything I said. And it was really good to get a different perspective. And I think over the seven years, like either I'll convince him of an idea or he'll convince me of an idea. But then we'll kind of both be fully invested in whatever we decide to do. And um, but there was there were some moments where. I feel like Kelvin's chilled out a lot in the last seven years. Like he was more of a stereotypical, not angry chef, but he he had a lot of emotions. Was he, was he a Gordon Ramsay? He was a bit, you know. I, I was I, passionate. He's always been passionate. passionate. But I joke that he's uh, Gordon Ramsay's uh, nephew. <laughs> <laughs> it's passion. That's you, all it have is. Have you calmed down? Do you think? Do you think that's just maturity? Yeah, actually, um, yeah, I think it's maturity. I think. Uh, when kids come into the, the, I'm a father, so when, when you have kids, I think that kind of makes you a little bit level-headed. Yeah. Um, and and you realize what's you, important as yeah. well. Who's worth shouting at and who's not. Yeah, exactly. 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 Um, it's interesting that you have a place, the One Life Kitchen at the Design District, because seven years ago, that was still up and coming, if I remember, yes? And it's one of those places I've never been at night. Why would, did you choose that location? In particular, because in the daytime, it's buzzing. I mean, I don't want to say energy many times in this interview. Do you know what? I love energy. Please go with that. The So I had left my job in October 2014 and was working on the concept of what One Life would become mm. uh, pretty much for the early part of 2015. Yeah. And I'd been looking at different locations, you know, Alcos, different business parks and business pay. But the first time I went to D3, and it was under construction, I absolutely felt that what I had in my head as the concept of One Life and what D3 could become or would become were like a match made in heaven. So it just seemed like a very natural fit. And One Life as a concept at that time was always, you know, to serve business people, people at work primarily for their lunch hour. So it was food that they could eat within 15, 20 minutes if they needed to or spend an hour there. Yeah, more mm. or less. But also food that kind of you could go back to the office after lunch and you'd still feel okay. You wouldn't be like super heavy. Slighter. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of food um, do you serve there? What's on the menu? Um, so we have a range of different uh, items. It's, I would say, international. If I hate that word, but it is. Yeah. Um, so we have... Steaks, tenderloin steaks. We have uh, um, burgers. We have a few curries. We have poke bowls. Um, but I would say the majority of of who we are is our salad um, display. Mm. So we have 
on rotation currently 72 different salads. What? And they change every single day. So It's a lot of lettuce chopping, isn't it? There's Half of them actually. <laughs> Most of them are. Don't, we don't call have. them nutrient dense. I mean, yeah. that's a word we used to use a lot back then, but... It's not meant to be like your typical salads. They're supposed to be more like With exciting. fibers and nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. and the great thing is you can like mix them mix up. Mix them up. Yeah. Okay, stay where you are, boys. Well, you're not going to be able to move because I won't let you. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Don't take it too easy because you've still got a few more questions to ask you, right? I'm prepared. So you, you said you have like 72 different kind of... Uh, is it ingredients or salads? Or? So salads, 72 different salads, which are 10 on display every single day. Um, and like Najib said earlier, you can actually mix them up. So in one bowl, you could have three yeah. to eight different salads. Yeah, no, um, that's amazing. And then it comes with a bunch of different add-ons. So when you started this seven years ago, the the scene um, in Dubai when it comes to F&B was very different. Nobody was overly focused on sustainability or veganism. How have your dishes evolved and changed with the times? Because it keeps changing all the time, the scene. I mean, we've always been very much aware of having a vegan option available. A lot of the times, even our, you know, we used to have a Sri Lankan sea bass curry, but we had a vegan option for that. Mm. Uh, I don't think we ever focused purely on offering only vegan food but with the salads uh, it, it the main thing with the salads is because you can mix them up and you can add any protein you want to it mm. if you come five days a week to us you could have five different meals on those five days and then you could carry that on for months and we did that for a long time mm. uh, now anything that we have on the menu we will always consider like a vegan angle as well so for our salads you can add a chicken steak chili prawns but you can also add like sesame garlic tofu avocado avocado we have a beetroot burger it's called mm. a shroot farm burger yeah. which is vegetarian not vegan vegan poke me up we have a vegan uh, poke, poke bowl called poke me up before you mango <laughs> <Poke me up>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's fun so what tips would you give to other people who want to create a restaurant because you've lasted through covid a lot of restaurants didn't what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned that you can pass to other people who are you know want to have some longevity in the in the f&b scene here i would say uh trust your gut um nine times out of ten it's probably right i mean there's instances in the past where we've uh, gone against our gut or gone against that feeling um, inside because I think a lot of the choices we make are based on feelings um, you two are so into feelings I absolutely love that so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, th I think uh, we're an yeah, emotional I mean, look, bunch we, we sometimes do things just because they feel right we're yeah. like this is a cool idea but I think you make because you're quite intuitive both of you that's why not everybody is quite self-aware in that sense yeah maybe yeah, I mean maybe. I think for me also like I really believe in marginal improvements. And if you take that over a seven-year period and you're just getting a little bit better every day or every month and you're essentially focusing on the food and the service you offer, which is what we've done at One Life for seven years, mm. it doesn't really matter where you start out. But I think when I look back, it's like we've really come a long way. And we have customers that we've known for that period, six years, seven years. Mm. I, we have customers that we've seen them you know, get pregnant for the first time and now they've had like two kids. The other day yeah. I was in the park in my neighborhood and there was this kid there and I was like, I know you when you were in your mom's tummy Aww. and he's like three or four years old now. Oh, bless. That's, and you've got a second location too. Yes, we do in JVC. Uh, 
anniversary is coming up uh, on the 26th of April. Right. We'll be open for a year. Um, not as big as D3, but definitely something to check Same out. Same vibe. Yeah. What's, Super what, what's the kind of clientele you get at night at D3? So after work, we get a lot of people who, who are leaving the offices and, and they pass by on their way home. Mm. Then we've got different people who once that kind of hectic, uh, busy period of D3 dies, out, dies down, they come in from the surrounding areas like mm. Business Bay, the IFC, Shakeside Road. Um, but it's mixed. I mean, during, during the day, it's very much the people who work in D3. And during the evenings, it's a, li a little bit of a mix of the people who are just leaving yeah. work and people from yeah. the area. So I have to ask you, your favorite dish on the menu right now, you have to pick one, Kelvin. Uh, I love them all. I, I think they all hold the. Well, small you are the part. chef. You're going to yeah. say that. <laughs> His favorite dish is not on the menu. What is it? Um... Which one are you talking about? Chicken, chicken wrap a la Kelvin? Yeah. So, so, yeah, the chicken. We have a chicken baguette. We have a chicken yeah. avocado baguette. And why is it baguette. not on the menu? No, it is, that is on the menu. It's but an option, we, but it's not actually on the menu. So it's like a secret menu. When you have get, so you have a secret menu and you haven't even shared menu. that on air with we me. We have a secret. Well, now okay. everyone knows Guys, that. <laughs> when you go to One Life, you say, I want the secret menu because they're not sharing this with us and there's something special on that. Najib, what's yours? Mine would probably also be like my go-to, the thing that I eat most regularly is the chicken baguette. But instead of having it in a baguette, I have it in a wrap and I put some French fries inside the, inside the wrap. So healthy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's got 72 salads and he goes for that. <laughs> that. The secret menu I don't think is that healthy. That's what I'm feeling. That's my energetic. No, the, sec the most popular thing on the secret menu is the summer body, yeah. which a lot of people in D3 know about the summer body. True story, yeah. It's never been on the menu. And it was not created by me either. What, what is the summer body? A waiter that we had, one of, uh, I believe, the best uh, waiter that Dubai has ever se seen, Samson, who's now in Manchester. He um, somehow came to the counter one day and told Kelvin that he's created the dish for someone. A customer asked him for something specific. So he created a dish which is chicken, roasted vegetables, and half an avocado okay. yeah. sliced. And he said to Kelvin, can you make this? So Kelvin made it that day because he had committed to the customer. And then I think within a couple of weeks, he created his own name for it, the summer yeah. body. Does and now every day people order the summer body. Will we body. get a summer body if we eat it? Well, I think that was the intention behind it. But <laughs> I, I mean, it takes some time. Yeah. <laughs> you have to keep Just coming eat back. smaller portions. There's a T's and C's with it. T's and C's come with it. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now we're meeting one company which is part of the Spinney's Local Business Incubator Program. And it looks like the timing is perfect because just yesterday, Melanie was saying, I need a safe organic mosquito repellent because the kids are playing outside and they keep getting bitten. For some reason, these mosquitoes do not bite me and I don't know what's wrong with that. Maybe there's something in my blood. I don't know. It's not that sweet. But I'm hoping Shona Hind is going to help us out because she's created her own brand. The, she's the founder of Free Me Company and she's here to tell me all about it and how she got started. Welcome, Shona. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very, very good. Now, before we get into what you've created and you're collaborating with Spinneys. Um, a little bit about yourself. Tell me about yourself, because you used to be a banker or working in banking, right? I did, yes. I moved over here in 2006 with my husband and two children, and uh, 17 years now this year. Um, I did start in banking with Barclays and National Bank of Abu Dhabi. That used to be my mine back in the day. <laughs> oh, <was it>? yeah. 
And uh, I sort of fell into those roles there. Um, and just really doing HR, marketing, bringing up the children, being mm. a housewife as well. And um, in 2016, I had a life-changing moment and um, something that made me want to make a difference. What was so, that moment? Um, I lost my dad, actually, in 2016 in July. And that was something that spurred me on uh, to do something, as I said before, that, that makes a difference. What was so it was like a wake up call for yeah, you? Yeah, he was like he was my hero and I wanted to do something, you know, uh, to be like a hero too, and to sort of leave a legacy like my dad did with me. And um, it gives me the desire to change the world in the biggest way that I can, you know, just as Shona. I really want to play my part in preserving lives and trying to save the planet for future generations. I've got two grown-up children, Jack, who's 27, and Emma, who's 30. And, um, you know, it's a big job. It really is a big job that I want to do, but I'm going to do it with the help of the community. And now Spinney's are helping me on that journey. So why mosquito repellent? Why? <laughs> because um, I had some downtime in COVID and I've because I've been here for so many years and we'd had problems with mosquitoes, especially in the communities that I lived in, every time I went to try and use a mosquito repellent, it was full of chemicals. It didn't smell good. I actually have a brother, Ian, who travels the world on business. Yeah. And he was always saying that every time he tried to apply a, a mosquito repellent on, he smelt really bad. And it, you <laughs> yes. know, his, his aftershave wouldn't come through. And, um, you know, it's he true. ended up not putting the mosquito repellent on. So, yes, it's about having a good fragrance. But also, every time I was looking at the mosquito repellents available in the UAE um, and the UK, actually, everywhere in the world, um, they were just listing too much DEET, too many chemicals. And when I looked into the research of what makes a good mosquito repellent really the basic essential the basic and essential items and ingredients you need in there is essential oils and water i know i was reading some natural repellents which i'm sure the ingredients are in some of yours which we'll go through and it was things like um lavender clove peppermint basil cedarwood all these kind of things the natural things that they they keep away so what kind of things are in yours yeah so we've got a citronella and lemongrass and also a lemon eucalyptus version of our repellents. Um, when I first went, I used a local factory because I wanted to support um, local, especially with all the issues that were happening over COVID. So um, when I first went to make this, I said, right, OK, I've seen all of these um, you know, things in supermarkets and online that say they're completely natural. So I just want essential oils because that's what's going to repel the mosquitoes and water. And they said... Well, we can make it with a tiny, tiny percentage of preservative and solubilizer in because an essential oil doesn't blend naturally into water on its own. Right. And it would also go stagnant on the skin. Yeah. So my product is 98% natural, 2% non-natural. So okay. I'm transparent in what we have and it's all listed on the labels. You know what's interesting? So my sister's always been an advocate for organic natural stuff <clears throat> since like I think 10, 12, 13 years. And we walked into a very well-known salon here and it said organic skincare or something. And she said, can I have a look at the bottle? And at the back it said parabens. She goes, how are you saying this is organic? How are so many makeup brands, skincare, how are they getting away with it? Are they not regulated properly and they're just called natural and organic? Do you know, I'm not sure. I mean, every country has its own regulations. And because I wanted to be, you know, my, my own integrity makes me pure, kind and real. So that's what I have on my labels of all my products. That's why I have a clear bottle so that everybody can see what's in it. Um, and when I was reading some of these 
bottles when I was in the supermarkets, it was saying organic or natural. And then when I looked at the ingredients, it would say 80% other. I know. So I thought, how can I trust that for yeah. me on a baby, on someone with sensitive skin? Yeah. I didn't understand. So um, that's why, you know, I, I because... Um, with these products in particular, I wanted to make sure that anybody using them had, uh, you know, could trust them. So I use Dubai Municipality here to certify my products. And then they, you know, they go through and scrutinize all the ingredients. And then they allow you to call your product either natural or organic. Yeah, so, I'm actually smelling my hand as she's talking to me because she was spraying them. She goes, come here, come here, let me spray these repellents on you. They smell so nice. I was like, oh my goodness, they smell like perfume. Yeah. So they do smell actually really good. And I have to say, there's no stickiness. It felt very no. light, which was great. Because um, I, I, I'm not much into spraying chemicals and skin care. I yeah. usually use things that are in the home or the fridge. Um, what are the products that you have then on the, on the website? Tell us about it. Okay, so I have uh, two repellents, mosquito repellents. Um, the two flavours that, that I mentioned, citronella, lemongrass and lemon eucalyptus. And then I have a really wonderful organic after sun soother. I'll leave you with a bottle of that. Is so that a new thing that's come it. out? No, that was the third product that I launched. Why? Because everything that I make, I want it to improve life quality. Mm. Um, and I want it to do it in a naturally kind way mm. um, uh, and deliver happiness, really, daily to, to everyone, to families, but at the same time looking after the planet. So uh, all the products that I make are be vegan friendly uh, as well. Um, but this organic after sun soother, you can use it as a face spritz. It's 85% aloe vera juice. It has chamomile oil and rose water in it. So it's calming, it's soothing, it's healing. It's wonderful for when you get too hot in the car out here. You can. It's a facial yeah. spritz. It's a moisturiser for all over the body. Again, it's a natural remedy that makes us feel better and that we can use on all the family. But I love the fact that you've extended to horses. <laughs> what have you made for the horses? Uh-huh. You're helping them as well. And dogs, really. yes, and, and dogs. This, this, uh, my repellents are, um, are um, because approved I know- by a local vet to be used on dogs as well. Did you want me to, before I tell you about the horses, when you mentioned to me about you, maybe you don't get bitten, yeah. uh, but your friend does. The actual science behind this, because I had to look into yeah. to that when I was making the repellents to make sure they worked. Um, the mosquitoes, and it's only female mosquitoes that bite. I, I can understand mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I get it. They're, uh, they're attracted to our natural body odour, um, our carbon dioxide um, and the skin chemicals that we have. And it's their receptors on mosquitoes that are uh, attracted to that. So when people use DEET, when they use chemicals in these other mosquito repellents, um, yes, what it does is it confuses the mosquitoes' antennae um, to stop them from biting you. Yeah. Now, if you use essential oils instead of chemicals, they have exactly the same um, action as DEET and chemicals do, but they don't. Like DEET has some, um, it can have some side effects, you know, serious ones. Um, I listed a couple on here. But what? Uh, Seizures, um, you know, aggressive behaviour, brain issues. So um, that's, you know, that's why we say if you barrier your skin with essential oils, some people make their own and that's good. You can add olive oil, you can add water to it, you know, blend it. But we needed something that didn't stain clothes, that smelt good and that has a three-year um, life, life. So we can find this at Spinney's, right? You can, as from next week, yes. So how exciting is that for you? Like, can you believe what, like, how long did it take to get from that idea to where you are today? 2018, I started to look at developing it. 
It was six months testing with friends and family to, to test that it actually worked. Yeah. Um, and then 2020 is when I launched it and I sold, I invested my own savings into 5,000 bottles, which is like a minimum order here yeah. that you are close to the local factory. Um, and then it took me three months to sell 5,000 bottles. I'm now just starting the third year and I've sold 20,000 bottles and was really happy to have won the incubator program last month, which now means that everybody can grab their bottles easier in spinnies. What other products do you have in mind? Do you have some more? Oh, do you know, I have a lot of products in mind, but I want to listen to customers and I want to listen to what their pain points are. And I want to solve that in the same way as what I've solved mosquito repellents, um, after sun for sunburn. Um, you asked me quickly about the horse product. Yeah. Just to really summarise that. Um, in 2021, I was uh, lucky enough to be approached by a couple of really good friends that are now shareholders with us in the company and um, this lady Lorraine had a background or still has a background in equine and in that same week um, I was approached by somebody at a local ripe market to say I'm using your mosquito repellent on my horse do you think you can make anything stronger now I'm a big believer of things happening for a reason yeah and I'd met Lorraine in that same week um, we then said you know okay let's go ahead let's talk to the factory let's see what extra oils we need um, to keep Horses happy, tick free, and fly free, and we came up with fly free, which is our uh, horse uh, fly spray, and fastly now is becoming the number one seller and is in every stables all over Dubai and across the UAE. I bet the horses so, smell yeah. nice as well. <laughs> yeah, they do, and you can use it on yourself as well. Amazing. Well, it's all so, natural, isn't it? Most of it. So that's the main thing. It is, and that's what you want. You can spray it on anything and anyone. Okay, yeah. thank you so much, Shauna. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, who doesn't like a good pastry? And we had um, a nice little delivery the other day, a little hamper from somebody. Um, and it was full of calories, <laughs> but they were all really good calories. And it was from uh, Chef Alexan Dufu, who's a pastry chef at Mina Salam. Thank you so much, Alexan, for the little hamper. Really appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. And you? Thank you so much for everything. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, there was a lot in there. And I can tell you, uh, there was a chocolate which had figs and fruit, everything on it. I'm still nibbling through that today. It's I have it just before the show to keep my energy levels up. The, the way I see it, it's a mixture of like chocolate and fruit. So there's a balance. What do you think? Oh, the chocolate and fruit? Yeah. Um... Um, I don't think you packed the hamper. I think somebody packed the hamper for you. Anyway, let's talk about you. Let's talk about you. Uh, the tablet, the chocolate tablet. Yes, it's, uh, it's uh, chocolate tablets with uh, dried fruit yes. and uh, with hazelnuts, with uh, a fig, with date, um, um, because it's um, it's a Ramadan per box, and uh, that's why I use some uh, some dates inside the the tablet for for. Because it makes sense uh, when uh, when I use this uh, this data for for Ramadan, and it's uh, it's really um, it's a crunchy and really gourmand when uh, when uh, when you eat that, and uh, it's uh, I love this uh, this product. Yeah, I'm not a massive fruit person, but if it comes like that on chocolate, I'm happy to eat it regularly. Um, I want to know a little bit about you. Where are you actually from originally? Um, I'm from France. Um, 
That's why I don't speak very well English. I'm so sorry for that. Oh, um, je parle français un peu, but we can't do it in French. Right. That's the problem. We oui. congratulations. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I can't carry it too much. I'll, I'll I'll keep it slow and short. Don't you worry. So, where did you grow up in France exactly? Um, during my time in Paris, uh, I um, I work ten uh, years at the Plaza Athene. Uh, with uh, Mr. Alain Ducasse, uh, Mr. Angelo Musa, Christophe Michalak, uh, Jean-Marie Eblo. It's a um, big name of a um, big chef of uh, uh, pastry. Um, and I, uh, I learned with, uh, with this team uh, 10, 10 years when I worked in Paris. And why pastry chef? Why did you want to go into that kind of career? To be honest, I don't know. Um, Did you just like sweet on, stuff? On the first time, on the first time, I would like to to work uh, in kitchen. Uh, I I would like to to be a chef, but I don't know why. Maybe at seventeen uh, years, I uh, I um, I like to to learn uh, uh, pastry, and that's why I chose to to do that uh, every every day now. A lot of the chefs that I speak to always say it was either the mothers, maybe their fathers, their grandparents or grandmother who used to be around them cooking and inspiring them. Who inspired you? Who inspired me? Uh, it's, uh, it's, one, uh, it's one chef, French chef, uh, Mr. Uh, Bernard Loiseau. Uh, it's, uh, it's not a pastry chef, it's a, it's a chef and uh, I love the, the spirit of, uh, of, this, um, of this chef. I love the, the energy of this chef. And uh, I think it, that's why I, I want to work in, uh, in, uh, in kitchen and in pastry. So, you know, Mina Salam, um, I actually like hanging out in the lobby area. You know, outside the balcony where you can see the ocean? place. Yeah, I, I do hang out there a lot and um, I have tasted a lot of the pastries. What are some of the most unique pastries that people will find of yours there at Mina Salam? Uh, oh, it's, it's really difficult because uh, at Al Samar we have uh, uh, 12, uh, eight, sorry, eight different pastries. Uh, and really, my favorite for the moment is the burnt cheesecake. It's really, uh, really simple when you see the, the cake, but, um, but uh, it's really f um, creamy, uh, really generous, and uh, it's, uh, it's my favorite. After I have my second one, maybe it's the tiramisu, and uh, because I, um, it's like a, a cup of, uh, of, uh, of uh, chocolate, and it's uh, like an like espresso. And uh, it's uh, really nice. Uh, and after, maybe the fraisier. Really fraisier, it's, uh, it's a strawberry with uh, uh, lemon coffee, strawberry coffee and uh, vanilla ganache. And the balance, it's uh, really, really interesting. And uh, really, I, I like this one too. So um, I can see you on Teams and I can't see you fully, but I'm guessing you're quite slim. How does a pastry chef stay slim? Because you've got to test taste a lot of cakes. I test a lot of cake. To be honest with you, I uh, I eat uh, some sweet and sugar uh, uh, at uh, when I wake up and when uh, I uh, I go to, to sleep. I oh eat only sugar. Wow. Okay, but uh, I don't know why I'm slim like that. I know, I know. 
I'm so sorry for uh, for yes. some people, but apologize, like apologize to the whole world that you eat cakes as a pastry chef from noon to from like sunrise to sunset, and you're still slim. We don't like you anymore, <laughs> chef. <laughs> I know. Uh, sorry, I apologize for that. Sorry. All right. Well, Chef, I just want to say thank you um, so much. You've got some special cakes for Ramadan as well. Uh, we make one uh, one uh, hamper box, uh, the same like you're receiving yesterday. Yes. Uh, yesterday or before yesterday, uh, and uh, inside we have uh, we have one date cake, one pistachio cake, uh, uh, and uh, I saw the dates covered with chocolate. Yeah, I saw the dates covered. I saw the little macaroons and the dates covered with chocolate yes. as well. Yes, and uh, everything it's made. We we make uh, all of the all of the product, and uh, and uh, we we do just just that for for Ramadan, and uh, uh, and we save this hamper to uh, to Margot. Okay. In Margot. Okay, well, you can find Chef there at Margot, Mina Salam. Um, next time I pop over, I'll come and find you, okay? And I'll come and say hi. Okay. Okay, merci <laughs> beaucoup. Au revoir. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Merci, Bye. merci. Make sure you tune into Farmer's Kitchen every Friday from 2 to 5 p.m.